0: Hello, Rick. Hello, Andy. What have you been up to? <laughs> we're not going to welcome people to the Moon Podcast. All right, fine. We're just, <laughs> just going to say that's it. We assume you know. We're, we've, we're on to episode seven now. We're epic. Thanks.
1: Honest Andy's Discount Moon Show. Hello and welcome to the Lunatic Show where we talk about all things Moon related. Today we're going to talk about a few topics such as everyone wants to conquer the Moon, the Vikram crash site has been found, a quick update on the Chinese rover U22, a dance of moons around Neptune applying for time on the Hubble telescope, Moon of the Month as in what is the name of the full moon this month, Some very local moon news before ending up on... Moon topic? Choice? Moon?
0: Yeah, I was thinking, what do we call this? Because, yeah, we've got Moon of the Month, uh, so we need a different name for that. Moon's in order.
1: Moon's in order. The next moon is. The next moon is. There we go. So, we'll end on. The next moon is. As opposed to our regular segment of everything wrong with Moonbreaker. (laughs) Anyway...
0: The reason I was looking at you funny is because you didn't introduce yourself. So I'll do it. Uh, this is uh, Andy, the Moon Expert, and I am Rick, the Moon Inexpert, the voice of ignorance, asking the questions that the average member of the public wants to know, such as why didn't you introduce yourself?
1: Yeah, this is in keeping with the inconsistency of the podcast introduction so far. Uh, what have you been up to this month, Rick?
0: Uh, this month I have been dusting off some tech notes and of a programming language I invented, and I've started. Programming a compiler. Really? Yes. Okay, what is the language called? I can't tell you because you'll nick the website. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's not the name of the language, but uh, that's just fact. We'll call it Zed. Okay, wow.
1: I, I can't fathom how you would make up a language. Like, I'm always in awe of these like fictional languages like Klingon or uh, Dothraki from Game of Thrones.
0: Yeah, that that's linguistical language, as it were, or spoken language. Uh, whereas computer languages are more, they're, they're conveying information to a computer. Yeah. So they're more about how to process logic. And there's loads of languages now. It's actually relatively common uh, in the computing world to make up a domain-specific language, as they're, they're called, where you, I don't know, if, you, if you're wanting to do... Drupal or HTML or online languages that they kind of give the user some power, but not a lot. They're not expecting the user to go down to, to, to Assembler or something, but they give the, the user some power. So, uh, yeah, I'm developing one of them just because that's what I do in my spare time. So will this be just for you to use or for everyone to use? Everyone can use it, hopefully
1: will you put it on github?
0: <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, I, I don't I haven't I'll try and get it working first and okay. then uh, and then it will go out into the wild and be very popular and everyone will say fantastic. Have a Nobel Peace Prize. Yeah, that's it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and Bill Gates. <laughs> uh, yeah, have Bill Gates. Keep him in a jar. Okay. Why have you made a language? That's a better question. Why? Yeah. Basically, I was I've sat around at work looking at like typing in documents or trying to copy and paste things from Excel to Microsoft Word. So many times I say, well, oh, hang on. If I update, you know, this cost in Microsoft Word, I now now have to go into Excel and update the numbers and. Yeah have to go into the PowerPoint presentation that I'm delivering and then update that and that pie chart. Whereas actually it should all filter through. I just update it once and it should all magically go through. Okay. And not only of my documents, but everyone else because Fred on the other desk is using my document to do their report, you know, so I'll write up this computer system will cost a million pounds. Fred is the pro- project manager, so he will if I update it, it'll now cost 1.1 million. Fred the project manager needs to update his costs and then the program manager who's running the project will need to update there.
1: That sounds like something that you can already
0: do on Google Docs. Sort of, yeah. Um, So you can do it on various pre-programmed databases and docs and so on. But I wanted one that's a bit more abstract. So docs say you have to present in this format, whereas I'm I'm moving back to
1: a slightly more abstract layer. Oh, as in just the like command line? Slightly, yeah. Oh, you (laughs) know. But anyway, so that's my life. Okay, that's that's very interesting and not related to moons in the slightest. Uh, You've been up to much? Uh, I have got back from India and Nepal recently. I was in India for a friend's wedding, which was absolutely amazing, a four-day event. Four days? Four-day wedding, yeah. I go to I, one I... of my
0: family's weddings, you're just like, yeah, I'll, t- I'll turn up for three hours. And <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm busy, gotta go home now, uh, work tomorrow. It was a orgy of food. I've never felt so full in my life. I ate like Henry VIII. I expected to come home with gout. It was incredible. Uh, have you have you heard of a band called Gogabadalo? A uh, what? Sorry. There's a, a bank a- band. Oh right, a band oh. called Gogo Bodelo. No, they uh they call themselves Gypsy Punk, and they're from they're like I think they're from Ukraine. They actually fled Ukraine because of Chernobyl. Oh right, and they became like travellers across Europe, and they all met in a bar in New York, and they started this band, and they have a song called American Wedding. And it is phenomenal. It's just basically this very dancey-gypsy, very vibrant-sounding song about how boring Western weddings are. It's like, have you ever been to an American wedding? Where is the vodka? Where is marinated herring? Where is the supply that's going to last three days? Where is the band that catches the beat? And I'm forgetting the lyrics, but it is a very, very good song. And... When I was in uh, this Indian wedding, I kept thinking of this song I was like, yeah, it does just last an evening. But this is just like four days of just frivolity and celebration. And it was wonderful. Oh, cool.
0: Did it finish with like a DJ playing Come On Eileen and the Birdie Dance as his tradition?
1: Well, there was a wedding DJ. He did play not those, but some wedding classics such as the Grease Medley. Abba Dancing Queen and the Macarena. Brilliant. Which, in India, is quite fitting. Very cool. And for once, I knew all the moves. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So that's what I've been doing. Uh, And also getting back on track to some moon stuff, doing some final promotion for the Name Saturn's Moon contest, which closed yesterday.
0: Okay, when's the results out?
1: Uh, Well, they take months because it's the IAU and they have to, this particular committee meets once every quarter. Uh, Last time, because it had been months before I found out the results of the Jupiter competition, I just fired off an email. So I, when are the results coming out? Oh, this Friday. Okay. (laughs) It felt like such a coincidence.
0: Oh, cool. (laughs) You just had to remind them? No, they are just sat there Go. oh yeah, oh yeah, that moon thing. Yeah, yeah. We just, so many flipping planets and... (laughs) <laughs> Here at the IAU, yeah, whatever. What did Andy want to call it? Yeah,
1: yeah, the, the Lego moon. Let him have that. Yeah.
0: But no, the, for the, the new listeners, this was the uh, competition by the IAU that you could name one of Saturn's moons. And they put up
1: 17 for naming. 20. 20. 17 belong to one particular uh, moon group, that which is it. the Norse group. Two in the Inuit group, and one in the Gaelic group. Gaelic being Celtic, Gaelic mythology kind of stuff. No point in entering the competition because it's closed, but the videos I made are really good, so I'll put some links to those in the show notes. Should we talk about some other moon stuff now? Yes. So I think everyone's trying to conquer the moon.
0: Everyone. That's what I was doing yesterday.
1: (laughs) You pointed me to a Trevor Nielsen? Nelson? Trevor Noah. Trevor Noah, that's it, who, who hosts The Daily Show now. And it was a video about America wants to conquer the moon. And it was Mike Pence's speech.
0: Yeah, that was it. Because I, I like my comedy. So I was just yeah. watching Trevor Noah, fine and fantastic comedian. And then Mike Pence, they were making fun of him. But Mike Pence was doing a speech about the moon. And it was broadly along the lines of uh, on the U-2-2 landing... And he was saying, China now militarising the moon, we must stop this or we must at least compete or something like that. Uh, this was somewhat juxtaposed with the conversations we have about oh, U22, absolutely. Um, where you're saying, "Oh, U22, oh, it's uh, trogging around, happy yeah. little s- uh, robots, having a sleep for 14 days—that's one <laughs> lunar night or whatever it is—and then, uh, oh, well done, it's gone. Oh, happy, happy, happy thoughts. Yes. Um, and then Mike Pence saying, "This is a this is a militarisation. So what's going on, Andy? Are you uh, infiltrated by the Chinese? You communist scum." <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, we are drinking KGB coffee, aren't we? <laughs> we are. <laughs> Do you want to explain that or just no? Uh, uh, this is a coffee blend that Amy brought back from America, uh, from Denver, Colorado. So it's from Dazbog Coffee and it's called KG Blend, which is Russian style coffee. It's pretty nice. I quite enjoy it. Yeah, it's not as bad as it smelled. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, it smelled like a gulag. It was horrible. It was just, yeah, it was just an ashtray. Getting back on track. The u 22 rover is part of the Chang'e 4 mission, which I have been quite, ah, oh, look at this little ro- rover poodling along, but there is something a little bit more nefarious, which is it's searching for minerals to mine the moon, not militarise the moon, because there's no strategic point of having something on the back of the moon where you're looking out into space. The better thing would be to do what the Russians are doing, which is building telescopes on the moon to claim to protect against asteroids.
0: Right, so when you say better, this is uh, for sort of, uh, jingoistic, uh, nationalistic reasons, or yes. as it were, not, not better for humanity, per se.
1: Oh, absolutely. So. Better for spying.
0: So, yeah, this is another thing. So so the Chinese are trogging around with a, a rover. A, to be fair, it's a non-militaristic ro- rover. It's not got guns or a laser on it. or
1: It has not. It's got scientific equipment, it's got cameras. It'll be for basically finding what minerals on the far side of the moon so they can mine it. So it's for profit purposes, not necessarily military purposes. Whereas what the Russians are doing, they are planning on building telescopes on the South Pole of the Moon as part of an early warning system in case asteroids go by. So they can have like, I don't know, cannons to blast them out of the sky, a la Armageddon.
0: Just for the people at home, when you're saying this is what they're doing as an early warning system, Andy did the air quotes thing. So you don't think they're just going to use it to look for asteroids?
1: I don't think so. I think if you're going to put a big telescope on the Moon, you basically have something that's facing the Earth at all times, so you can just put a big telescope on there that's just going to be looking at the Earth so you can monitor things. Obviously, if you want to monitor and surveillance stuff, you put satellites up. Uh, That will give you a much clearer image, but I still think it will be to monitor something, potentially monitor other satellites, I don't know what they're going to be doing, but I don't trust them to say that they're just looking for asteroids. I don't trust anyone at the moment. I'm very, it's a very paranoid time.
0: Yes. Yeah, ignoring motivations. Is it fundamentally better to be out in space on the moon looking for asteroids as opposed to, right, Russia, take that money and go and build it on your highest mountain, for example?
1: Absolutely, because on Earth, you've got to look through the atmosphere, whereas on the Moon, you don't have any atmosphere, so to speak. There is an atmosphere, but it's crazy thin, so it's practically not there. You can get a much clearer image. You can look further out into space with the telescope so you can see these asteroids coming from a farther distance. So that is the early warning system. So if they're going to do that, great, that's better for humanity, but I reckon there's going to be some other nefarious thing going on there.
0: Okay, so there, there is scientific legitimacy for putting a telescope out of the Earth's atmosphere yes. and on the Moon. The other thing, what well, NASA has done is put a telescope in space, uh, the Hubble Space Telescope. And the James Webb Telescope. And the James Webb Telescope, which is not on the Moon, it just, I say it just flies around. Uh, it orbits as it's known in the, uh, the business. So it orbits the Earth. Is that
1: cheaper and better than putting something on the moon? It is better to put it on the moon because it's cheaper, because the Hubble telescope is very expensive, the James Webb telescope is very expensive, and also those are for deep field imaging, and they're going to be orbiting the earth once every 90 minutes, so they're going to be kind of all over the place, whereas the moon orbits much slower, once every 28 days, it's going to be in a relatively similar position, so if you spot something you can easily kind of like, oh, focus on that, Whereas with the Hubble, it's like, oh, right, we need to kind of catch it again as it zooms past kind of thing. So it's better to have something in a more central location rather than something that's orbiting around. Okay. That, cool. That's so my rationale. Could you not put a space telescope further out? so it's? Uh, I think it would be harder to control if it's further
0: out. Uh, it's probably the same difference, but if I put a telescope out just orbiting the Earth at the same sort of radius as the Moon... That's... Well, you may as well put it on the Moon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I did work that out, but I thought I'll just... <laughs> Although, yeah, if you're landing stuff on the Moon, that's harder than actually... We'll just put it into orbit around at the, broadly the same distance as the Moon, if I've got to actually land stuff on the Moon, as per India's recent sort of Moon landing.
1: Yes, but they're planning on having, like, a base people there, not just plonking a telescope down there. This is part of a bigger, ongoing mission... So I think that will make it easier because they'll have a landing pad, they'll have people on there to guide it down rather than just having a computer they built a month ago having to do the job for them. I think it will be easier but take longer to do. But that's Rush's plans to conquer the moon, which I think conquer is a strong word, more like just have their little bit of it. Establish a presence. Uh, America definitely wants to have the moon as some kind of militaristic standpoint based on Mike Pence's speech. That was back in March, by the way, and a lot has happened since then in terms of progress in the missions. And Trump has been for it and then very dismissive and then for it again. So, God knows what's going to happen with these missions. Uh, he wanted to go to Mars, basically.
0: Not him personally, but if America could land people on Mars, he would get a big applause and so on. Yeah. So, he, And NASA are saying, well, the natural way to do it is establish a, a gateway. Absolutely. Via the moon and get our skills up there and then head off to Mars. Trump is perhaps more, no, just Mars.
1: Yep, Mars only, <laughs> uh, which is quite typical of him. Straight to dessert, we will miss the main course <laughs> that's actually nutritious. Well, yeah, it's having a lunar base before going to Mars is the very sensible thing to do. Mars is the steak, but the moon is the vegetables, but you need the vegetables, otherwise you just got a plate of meat. <laughs> and you just... we, we are going with this food <laughs> analogy. <laughs> But you need to get to the moon to refuel to go to Mars. It's the most logical way of doing it.
0: So they're turning moon into uh, a service station, basically. But that's what you do. It's like you've got an electric car that'll only get you 200 miles. If you want to go 400 miles, you have to build a service station and a recharging point. So we're going to see the moon with some fruit machines, (laughs) one of them grabbing machines, some toilets that you can go in that stink. A WH Smith. (laughs) W.H.
1: Smith with everything put up by 100%. I paid £1.9p for a Kit Kat Chunky. £1.9p. I can get four for a quid from the supermarket. I was livid.
0: I did that like two nights ago, but I was driving back and this was at one in the morning. At I think it was Hopwood Services, if you know it. Shout out to Hopwood. <laughs> and and the W H Smith was empty. In fact, the whole place was empty apart from like a lorry driver at the, the all night Costa, uh, fueling up on like caffeine, so he could not fall asleep. But it was completely dead. And I went to buy a phone charger, because my phone was just dying of battery, and the, the highways agency shuts random roads at night. I don't know if you've done much night driving, but they're just like, right, randomly, this junction's now gone. It's not obvious where you get home, and then if you can't look it up on your phone, you've got problems, and if you end up on a diversion, you end up somewhere like wandering around Worcester or something. Yeah, just... exactly. So, I needed some battery charge. So, I thought, oh, right, okay, I'll go to WH Smith and I'll get this one. And it was sort of locked to the the stand, and so I asked the, the lady at the counter, like, can you Come and unlock this. And it was okay, yeah, it's an anti-theft thing. Okay, brilliant. Got it to the counter and uh, it turned out to be an Apple one. I've got a Samsung phone. So I said, oh, okay, well, I won't get it. And I just left it and bought a road atlas instead. She did the transaction and she sort of went, all right, well, I'll put it back then. And I'm well, come on, I'm one in the morning. <laughs> You've got naff all to do. Like, I'm sorry to interrupt your busy life where you were just doing nothing, completely empty. You're telling me I've got to interrupt my journey to go and put your thing back on, which is now I've got to get past the anti-theft device, which you're not going to give me the key for. And like you, you literally have nothing to do. What are you doing for like this night shift that's such that you cannot be
1: bothered to go and p- walk all of 10 metres and put this charger back on the phone? You have interrupted them reading the latest Danielle Steele novel or playing Candy Crush Saga.
0: That, that, that was basically, I don't even think she was doing that. Just staring off into the middle distance was... So anyway, I vote for her to go and work on the moon. <laughs> <laughs> today. That's it, yeah, today. No support equipment. <laughs>
1: uh, so everyone is trying to conquer the moon, especially WH Smith. So they have found the Vikram crash site. And what was Vikram? Oh, uh, Vikram was the lander which contained a rover called Pragyan. Pretty sure I've got those the right way round. Which is part of the Chandrian 2 mission. And Chandrian 2 was a probe sent from the Indian Space Organisation. IRSO, and they sent up Chandrayaan-2, which is an orbiter going around the moon, which is still in operation, still still conducting some amazing experiments. But the Vikram lander unfortunately crashed, which contained the rover, and they have found the crash site. Uh, they being...? They being an amateur astronomer. Really? Yeah, yeah, it's, um, so it's an amateur astronomer called Samagar He's just like one of these amateur astronomers who will process the images from satellites. So, the images were taken from the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter. Sorry, that's a US NASA. So, NASA owns the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter, and every image from any satellite ever taken by NASA is all public domain, and anyone can process any images. In fact, this is how some moons have been discovered in the past. But this guy was processing the images, NASA said, hey, anyone want to help us find where Vikram kind of crashed? So what he did is he looked at where he thought the crash site was and had before images and, and recently taken images and kind of overlaid the two and found some impact debris and some little craters. And he found the crash site for Vikram. So sent this off to NASA, took a few weeks for them to actually confirm the data. But yeah, he's been credited as finding the crash site for Vikram, and it just goes to show that anyone can do this. The data's all there available, just gotta learn how to process the images, what you're looking for, and you can find anything, which is pretty cool. I know what
0: you mean, we have talked about this before where it's not just sort of gentlemen astronomers looking through telescopes saying, ah, I found a moon. It's, yes. it's all sort of internally based, as in sat inside processing computer files.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, you can create codes to do this for you to just like compare it by pixel by pixel. So like, oh, there's a difference here. There's a difference there. I I find it quite interesting that there's this like almost a little bit like punk and DIY that you can just go out and do this just amateur astronomy like we've done the heavy lifting, you can do what you want with it.
0: Yeah, it does seem a bit carboop sale or amateur yeah, amateur. It's like well we've got all this stuff, we don't know what we're doing with it, go and find some value in it.
1: Well they do know what they're doing with well, it, yeah, but it's do. it's a you case can't of process everything, so yeah. yeah. It's like um, a pot of stew. It's like, we've taken out the meat and potatoes, but there might be some other stuff in there. Have a look in. I like, oh, well, we found this. Oh, we found that.
0: I like this. <laughs> Why has it got all food analogy, this know. podcast?
1: <laughs> uh, so they have found the Vikram crash site. I'll put a link in the show notes so you can actually see what has been uncovered. And the debris actually goes for a couple of kilometres. So there's zero chance of it actually surviving. So you have debris in green and soil disturbances basically meaning just like little craters from the impact site. So that's where it actually splattered into the into the moon. The patch is a little whiter because the regolith has been disturbed. The regolith? Yes, lunar regolith is posh talk for lunar soil. Right. This is a perfect example of lunar gardening. Fantastic, which you talked about earlier. I did, which is a, a cute little video which I will include in the show notes as well.
0: Fantastic. Yeah, so uh, we keep saying, you know, because I've got my computer science image processing background. Mm-hmm. So yeah, go and find out what images to process and then we'll process something. And we'll we'll be the first podcast to discover something. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's vague at the moment. It's not the, it's not the most formalized of plan. Okay, we'll do that whilst applying for time on the Hubble Space Telescope. Yeah, Are we talking about that later? Yes. Yeah, because we're going to get time on the Hubble Space
1: Telescope, obviously. We've just got to do the application process. Which we'll talk about in a moment. Well, we may as well talk about applying for time on the Hubble Telescope. Yeah, we've just
0: had like a 20-minute argument because it's supposed to be like one of the final features, but we're bringing it forward now. So last time we talked about how do you apply for time on the Hubble Space Telescope, and can I use it to look at my roof because my neighbour came round and said I've got a broken tile, or I might have one. Has he actually? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I mean, I don't want to go up with a ladder
1: because that's like dangerous. It is dangerous. It's a faff. It is a faff. Well, the opening line of the proposal says, competition for time on the telescope is extremely intense. Potential users must show that their observation can only be accomplished with the Hubble's unique capabilities and are beyond the capability of ground-based telescopes. So can you use a ground-based telescope to see if the tile is missing from your... No. Because oh, okay. if I was stood on the ground, I just wouldn't see it. Is, is the angle of your roof identical to the angle that you're looking at it? So it's just like a flat plane?
0: Yeah, basically, it's the wrong angle. So I need to look at it from above.
1: Okay. And we need the Hubble's unique capabilities to observe that.
0: Yeah, that or a ladder.
1: But the ladder's <laughs> the faff.
0: Yeah, the ladder's in my shed. It's the right faff to get out. Uh, okay. In fact, no, I don't have a ladder. No, I've just got a step ladder in the shed. No, i, u- I borrow my neighbour's ladder because he's got like a double super one that he uses for roofing. Okay. So, yeah, I don't really want to go around my neighbour. Okay. And, and uh, I mean, he's a nice chap, but he's, he's gone to the effort of spotting that I might have a dodgy roof tile. So, uh, that seems unfair that I nick his ladder.
1: Well, good news. Proposals for time on the Hubble telescope are open. So, we need to go to stsci.edu, which stands for Space Telescope Science Institute. Uh, so, basically, they're the guys you talk to if you want to use the Hubble telescope. I will go there now. Well, we need to submit a proposal. Yeah, Um, I want to look at my roof. Now, the proposal, there's a lot of documentation for it. For example, you have to have anonymous proposal reviews. You need to have... (laughs) Anonymous? Yeah, Well, I can do that. Because well, they don't
0: know it's me. Well, they, it's need to,
1: they need to ensure there's no, like, bias in it. So what's an anonymous
0: proposal review? Because it, is it like a review? You know when you review a pub on TripAdvisor or whatever, and it's anonymous? I went there, and they, and they said I can't have chips with everything, and I hate it. One star.
1: From Anonymous. <laughs> okay. The... STSCI has a responsibility to simultaneously ensure that the community has equal opportunity for the use of the Hubble Space Telescope and that the best science is being done with a finite amount of observing time available. So I think it's basically trying to say that just to ensure that everyone has an equal chance. So I think all the proposals are anonymized.
0: Yeah yeah I'm, I'm happy for it to be anonymized. Okay. If anything that's better. I mean they will probably work it out though because I'll, I'll give my address of this is the house I want
1: to look at. Uh so there is Phase One Proposal Roadmap, which has 26 stages, and you need to fit... Yeah, exactly.
0: Yep. So does, does that go to the like, the nth degree of find an envelope?
1: <laughs> <laughs> find a bit of paper. So three, get a pen. All... So I'm not going to read out all of these, but one is go to the announcement page, two, familiarise yourself with the call for proposals and Hubble Space Telescope Primer, Three, determine the proposal category, and then there's many, many more. Then you get to, like, 17, fill in the proposal information, fill in the principal investigator information, fill in the co-investigator information, fill in the target information, fill in the summary observation.
0: Yeah, that's far... I mean, most of those steps are just getting rid of time wasters, like complete idiots who don't understand what that Hubble telescope's for.
1: <laughs> and, so... what and what its unique observing capabilities can do
0: yeah exactly so like okay I know the Hubble telescope it's fine it'll it'll do the job so I have to fill in am I like the the main investigator
1: uh yeah you will be I'll be your co-investigator yeah so like sponsor I guess yeah so we'll fill in those forms or in this case enabler what do they uh what do they want to know So fill in the proposal information. Be sure to attach your science justification via the proposal PDF attachment. So what's your science justification?
0: My roof might be leaking. Scientifically, my roof might be leaking. Brackets, I would explain hydrodynamics, but you probably know that because you're NASA.
1: So I'm trying to find the actual PDF. There'll be like a documents portal where we can fill it all in, but I don't think filling in forms makes riveting podcasting.
0: Not to slag off the
1: form-filling podcast (laughs) available on BBC Sounds. So we have until March the 6th, 2020 to get this proposal filled in. So that is phase one proposal deadline. Then they review this and from between May the 11th to May the 15th, the phase two proposal deadline is set. And then by June the 30th, we need to submit our budget submission. Do we have to pay for it? I don't think we have to pay for it, but I think if you're doing this as a full-time job, you need to say that, oh, the organisation is, like, the uni I'm working for is paying me to do this.
0: Okay. I'll get a roof around to give us a quote how much it would cost to replace a tile. (laughs) Ironically, they might go up on a ladder just to uh, see if (laughs) we won't tell NASA that.
1: Okay. I will source the documents. Yeah. And we'll fill them in next time. Right. Anything else that you want to add about Hubble Telescope?
0: Uh, yeah, no, well, seriously, I've learnt uh, how to apply, and it's very good. It's all open and free of use, as it were, as opposed to you have to be an American citizen and studied at Harvard and yeah. uh, be a white male with a tie and a suit, that is, <laughs> as is the traditional image of NASA from the
1: 1950s. So stay tuned, and we'll keep... This time, next episode, we may have applied, or may have a proposal document of some kind filled in for applying for time on the Hubble Telescope. So I want to have a very quick update about U22. It has now been on the moon for 340 days, officially smashing the record. So if you remember last time we talked about LunarCod 1, which had the record the kind of unofficial record and at that point U22 had smashed the unofficial record but not the official record because even though Lunacod 1 stopped communicating after 308 days the Soviets rounded up the mission to something like 331 or something like that because it coincided with Sputnik's launch and the soviets love kind of like celebrating anniversaries of big achievements and sputnik was a hell of an achievement for them so fair enough do what you want <laughs> sorry just a chat. don't tell russia to fair enough do
0: what you want as a bad idea russia if you're listening don't do what you want that's kind of where all the problems start
1: um, <laughs> in this very very small area of happening to coincide anniversaries with monumental dates Go nuts. But everything else, use moderation, please.
0: Yes. I'm
1: sure they'll listen to me. We are very influential. We are. <laughs> We're right in Putin's ear, aren't we, little beauty? But U22 has officially smashed the record and going strong. We seem to be recording podcasts whenever U22 is hibernating. It's currently sleeping during the lunar night, and it will start its 13th lunar day on the 17th of December. This is the Chinese robot. It is. Yeah. It is the Chinese mission, the Changi 4 mission. Changi 4 being the lander, U22 being the rover. So it's it's smashed, smashed the record. So go U22.
0: Uh, are we
1: going to talk about this like
0: every podcast? No. We're, we're right. No, we're not. <laughs> it's, uh, it's still smashed the record again.
1: It's officially smashed the record now. Uh, I just wanted to celebrate that a little bit. And I'm not going to be mentioning U22 or Vikram again because Vikram found the crash site, like chapters ended on that, book closed, that's finished u 2 unless it discovers more gel-like substances or the mission ends, we'll talk about it again. But fear not, no more u 22 And I can't make that joke again for a while of, do you like U-2-2? Insert tumbleweed sound effect. Oh no, I was going to do cricket sound effect. Okay. <laughs> um, while looking up Lunacod, I did find a photograph of Lunacod 1 on the moon. Who took it? The Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter? Oh right, I thought it sort of <laughs> Putin! Yeah. Putin took it with his Polaroid!
0: Yeah, no, I thought, well hang on, is there another robot down there just sort of taking pictures, or U-2-2 has gone and taken a picture of the corpse of another robot and sent it back?
1: That would be incredible, because u 2 is on the dark side, so it had to travel all the way around to the near side of the moon to actually get there, and out of a crater, which would be quite monumental. Uh, but no, this is LunarCod 1, and that's its final resting place here. Oh,
0: right, so when you said photo, it's, yeah,
1: top-down. It is top-down photo, but that's clearly a probe, a little rover, because you can see the little track marks around it. See? Oh, yeah. But that's quite incredible that you're able to take a photo that fine grain of the moon. With an orbiter.
0: No, no, that is amazing. I'm always amazed that, you know, all these cameras out in space and I can't take a photo uh, (laughs) with my own one of my car when I was trying to sell it. My thumb's
1: in the frame again.
0: That was it. I I was trying to WhatsApp a friend my pictures of my car. And so I, I took the photos of the car and then I'm not good at WhatsApp. So I sort of, you go to WhatsApp, send picture, send, and I ended up clicking on one of my chickens. A <laughs> picture of my chicken. I was like, All right, how do I delete this? I don't know. I'll just It's easy just to send the chicken. Say the, chi- the chicken's not relevant. His picture's of my car. <laughs> just
1: so you just, the you just keep sending chickens. Yeah. Are you trying to sell me a chicken, Rick? Yeah. No, no. I have a car that I'm trying to sell. It looks like a car, honestly. You keep sending me chickens. Yeah. <laughs> Fear not, listeners. We won't be talking about U22 unless it does something big again. Should we do some foreign moon news? Yes. And the foreign moons in question this time are two Neptunian moons, and they are the two innermost moons called Naiad and Thalassa. And they have made headlines because they are trapped in a orbital dance, as they all claim, which basically is flowery talk for they're in resonance with one another.
0: Okay, what does this mean? Okay, I've seen the video of what's going on. Um, Good luck explaining this on a podcast without any visuals, Well, That's, that's what I'll say.
1: Resonance, it's basically like a ratio. So a good example would be the three of the four Galilean moons that orbit Jupiter. So you've got the innermost one that orbits once, and then the next outermost one will orbit once, and the innermost one will do twice. So, so is this, this per time period? Yeah. It's okay. not just like, I've orbited once, that's it, Yes. I will stop. So it's two for one, so when the second one does one orbit, the innermost one has done two orbits, that's a 2-1 resonance. The outermost one of those three, so three does one orbit, the innermost one will do four, and the second one will do two, and they have a wonderful resonance that's been established over millions of years. So that's what a resonance is.
0: I assume it's something clever, maths, gravity that yeah. causes that.
1: It is about gravity. It's about stabilisation and it's about allowing the moons to basically form a nice stable pattern. And if they're out of resonance, so if they, they don't sync up, then that causes like tidal disturbances and it causes the moons to like stress apart. And they don't want to do that. They want to kind of like like it's not like a conscious choice, but gravity tends to the least amount of force exerted on it. It's like trending towards the least amount of energy exerted. So keeping in a residence will make sure that the energy is conserved.
0: Yeah, I got told off in chemistry for saying like, hydrogen atoms want to give an elect, or take an electron from an oxygen atom that wants to give it. They don't want to, they don't care. It's more energy efficient that they do it. Yeah, oh well. So yeah, you got marked down in chemistry for uh, saying inanimate objects want to do things They don't want to. It's more energy efficient. So we we just like personifying or anthropomorphizing uh, objects so that it's more energy efficient, blah, 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 maths, but if they all get into sync. Yes, exactly.
1: It's more energy efficient, better if everything's in sync. So these two moons are in a resonance and the resonance ratio is 69 to 73. (laughs) right. Yeah, exactly. So for every 69 orbits... The outermost one does, the innermost one does 73. But because of this particular resonance they never clash, they never hit each other, even though their orbits are so close together. So they orbit at 1,800 kilometers apart. Now that is not a lot of distance in terms of space, considering that they are about 100 kilometers across each, so they have got a fair bit of gravitational pull against each of them so they could have an effect on each other but because one of these moons is at a slight incline of five degrees it actually goes above and below the other moon so i believe it's
0: yeah it's a lot easier if you look at the animation because explaining this (laughs) explaining this without any sort of visual aid is going to be a nightmare
1: well thalassa is on the same plane as neptune thalassa is on the equator Nyad is tilted at five degrees, but if you stay in the same frame of reference as Thalassa, then Nyad goes up and down like a sine wave, uh, like a curly wave if you didn't do science. Why are you listening to this podcast if you didn't do science? <laughs> it's a very interesting little discovery, although I can't believe they haven't thought of this before. Yeah, did they not
0: know that these moons were sort of in odd positions or...?
1: Well, they knew the inclinations of these moons when they discovered them back in the 80s when the Voyager satellites captured these images. So they knew the inclinations, they knew the orbital patterns, and the fact that these moons have been around for years. Maybe it's only just a case of they're only just getting round to the research now. Yeah, one of the people who wrote the paper on this, Mark shawalter uh, actually discovered a new Neptunian moon called Hippocamp, and he did this by looking at old images taken by the Voyager satellite. And the fact that this, is, this moon has just been hidden there, for God knows how long is quite incredible.
0: Yeah, as I say, we, we should go looking for moons.
1: Well, I reckon there will definitely be something there. Maybe not in Neptune, but probably in Uranus. There's 27 moons discovered around there at the moment. But it's just a case of blocking out the brightest object in that image, which is Uranus, because that's the one that's reflecting the most light, and identifying what are stars and what are moons, and then matching those to what we already know, kind of like discounting like okay well a moon would be on that trajectory oh is this a moon or could it just be a passing asteroid so it's just finding out this kind of stuff yeah this resonance I can't believe they well I can believe because you know there's only so much time you can have but I'm quite amazed that they hadn't made this announcement or discovery earlier
0: yes no it does seem like quite niche and Interesting that this, this Moon um, has a very, not eccentric orbit, because that means something else, but unusual yeah. orbit. And so if you've got two or three pictures, then it's of it randomly. It's like taking two or three pictures of a point on a sine wave. Chances are it's just going to not be a straight line. So someone will go, well, I on what's going on here.
1: Yeah. It's, it's a very delicate orbit. The fact that they've been in these orbits for many, many, well, for millions of years and not hit each other mm. is quite something. There's another there's a really interesting orbit around Saturn with two moons called Epimetheus and Janus, which are in something that's known as a horseshoe orbit. So their orbits are so close to one another that they actually swap positions when they get close close to each other. So that so what it's like two cars going around like one of the NASCAR rings. And when they get ones on the outer track, but then goes into the inner track and then the other one goes up into the outer track to conserve energy. And they just swap positions once every four years. That's cool. Yeah, it's amazing. And it's something that's called a horseshoe orbit because from one frame of reference, a moon is coming towards you and then it just stops and then goes into the lower orbit and then back away and then you're at the other end of the horseshoe it sees you and then it stops and then goes back around on itself again this is much easier easier to describe with visuals but just imagine a horseshoe and someone going around the per, the circumference of the horseshoe and that is what the moon is doing from a frame of reference why they called it horseshoe orbit and not like a swopsy orbit yeah a swappy moon swappy moon that would have been much better But that is the orbital dance of avoidance between Falassa and Niad, which is very graceful. Yeah, you describe this
0: as graceful. I remember sending you an article on Facebook about when Jupiter was going to align with the moon one night. And so the the press had said, oh, on this night, Jupiter and the moon are having a cosmic cuddle. And you got very angry on Facebook saying planets don't cuddle. They don't cuddle. It was an all caps situation.
1: (laughs) I did actually see that when it was in India. I saw the moon, Jupiter and Venus all next to each other in the sky. Cuddling. Well, no, they were next to each other and the millions of...
0: <laughs> so you got very angry when someone described them as cuddling. Now you're, you're saying, oh, it's acceptable
1: for planets or moons to dance. That is a what? dance, though. They get very close to each other and they're <laughs> avoiding each other. Like a... Whoop! A tango. Well, I don't know, not a tango. What is it where you're just, like, shuffling...
0: A shuffle. I'll oh, so end yeah, with a the shuffle then. <laughs> the official position of Andy is that uh, celestial objects are allowed to dance but not cuddle. Yeah, make room for
1: Jesus. <laughs> have you not heard no. of this? what's that? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Just, oh,
0: okay, we've got a Christian podcast now.
1: So, in America, when you have prom in some of the more conservative states along the Bible Belt you have like chaperones at the dance to make sure that the teenagers aren't getting too cuddly and aren't getting too familiar so you'll have like chaperones coming in with a ruler like s- <laughs> like wedging it between people and like separating them it's like oh make room for jesus to make sure there's like a person's width between the two of them and it's, oh, right. it's known as make room for jesus oh right.
0: uh, yeah i uh, when i was being taught Sort of theology, I didn't realise that was Jesus' role on earth. Um, I, I thought he you know, died for our sins and, and created eternal salvation. But obviously he's, he's also there to ruin dances uh, of high school a, teenagers. He's a unit of measurement. Yes, that's it. I, I can't help but th- yeah, disagree that there's some theological uh, liberties being taken there. I agree. Uh, however, it would match up to our British system. Uh, where in our school dances, the boys went on one side of the room and the girls <laughs> went on, on the other side. And just the teachers would go, yep, yeah, make room for social awkwardness. And the, the width is the entire school hall. All the kids sort of say, oh, yeah, we're having a ball and a disco. Oh, that's great. It's what all the grown-ups do. Yeah. And then we don't want to dance. We, do, we don't actually know what we're doing when we get to it. and yeah. um, I'm not going to be the first one to the dance floor, no. And so that, that's, that's what happens in Britain. Absolutely. If, if anything, the teachers are pushing people together, so I'll at least create some sort of atmosphere, you lot.
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm here on my <laughs> night off, <laughs> looking after you stupid kids, and you won't even talk to each other! <laughs> yeah. That is a dance of avoidance. We have another entry into the Name Walking Rover competition. Cool. <laughs> Show <laughs> more enthusiasm!
0: So, yeah, isn't uh, it? Alright, yes, wow, fantastic.
1: Yeah, if you don't remember our name Walking Rover competitions, a UK-based space company called Spacebit are going to create the UK's first moon rover and they have called it Walking Rover, which is a very boring title for a very exciting prospect. Their rover is a box with legs. looks pretty amazing. So we've created a naming competition called Name Walking Rover. <laughs> this is a very much unofficial competition. Oh yeah, it's oh. not recognised in any way by Spacebit. It is not. They won't retweet anything, uh, despite how much I tagged them in the tweets. But account called Hound Around has suggested a Thunderbirds-themed name. Hey! I know how much you like Thunderbirds. Yes, it's very much in keeping with the mantra and ethos of the show, uh, and they've suggested Sidewinder.
0: Yeah, the reason I was a bit sort of stumped at the beginning, because I was looking at this picture of Sidewinder, which I've never heard of, and uh, uh, it looks like a Thunderbird's thing. Is this one of the vehicles they can possibly use that fits in Thunderbird 2? Is it one of those, like the Mole, that isn't given a Thunderbird number?
1: Now, Sidewinder is featured in one episode only, and that is Pit of Peril, and it is not a Thunderbird's craft. It is an experimental vehicle run by the US military, I believe, and they're testing it to make sure that it can actually go across sand, because they've found that, like, I don't know, tanks won't do it, or some... I forget the plot of why they need this basically tank-on-legs.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that's reasonable, because, yeah, if you studied, what was it, the campaign in North Africa, there were certain swathes of the desert that Montgomery and Rommel couldn't go into. However, putting a lot of weight onto a smaller amount of area, i.e. feet, is
1: probably not the best idea to stay afloat. Which is correct, and what happens in this is they go across basically just some, like, caverns that are, like, have a thin crust. Of sand over them very much like in glaciers where you have like those crevasses with a very thin layer of ice so you fall into them like in touching the void in this episode the sand crawler goes across one of these like little pits and falls straight into it catches fire immediately so the u.s army sends the sends in people to try and help and this episode is actually quite gruesome because they helicopter and a guy to go down and have a look and then as they're lowering him, he's like, it's too hot, it's too hot, you need to get me out. And so they're like, pull me out now, pull me out now. And you just hear this scream as they're like lifting up this basically little puppet out of the pit. He's holding his face and like smoke is billowing off him. It's genuinely quite traumatic. And for the rest of the episode, he's in like a sick bay covered in bandages and like blood is like blotting on these bandages. And this is a kid show. Yeah, that's, that's quite harsh. Yeah, it is harsh.
0: Reminiscent of uh, Temple of Doom, I think. There's a scene in that. that. Uh, is there? Yeah, they sacrifice someone into a pit of fire.
1: Oh, yeah, that's horrible. Yeah. They pull out his heart and then they put him in the... Oh,
0: do they? I don't remember pulling out his heart. Maybe they sanitised it for the Sunday afternoon version. I think so, but they pull out his heart. But back in the 80s, you're allowed to throw people into fiery pits and no one will bat bat an eyelid.
1: My wife and I went to go see Gremlins uh, last night, because it it is a nice Christmas movie after all, and there's some deaths in that. And acknowledge that the person is dead, but they don't really linger on it. Whereas something like Stranger Things, which is a very 80s-themed show, and they try to follow the 80s storyline and recapture that feel, when someone dies in that, they do linger on the death and you actually see the impact of it. So I think it's a very 80s thing to just like have someone die but then move on and not mention it again. Yeah,
0: like Star Wars, they blow up a whole planet. So presumably lots of people die uh, and they just say, oh, well,
1: disturbance in the force, move on. Well, Obi-Wan <laughs> takes it a little harder than other people, yeah. as does Leia. Well, they, there's a bit and then they,
0: let's blow up the Death Star.
1: Well, well, yes, it does. I'm
0: paraphrasing Star Wars a lot. but
1: Yes, just just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yes, this is the Sidewinder, which I think is a great name for uh, the walking rover. So that will be submitted to Spacebit for them to ignore. Yeah, as they should. I will email them with a very nice letter, saying like, "Look, we have we are the official Moon podcast. We have collected these names from our think tank. Here are the names we'd like to submit. Uh, so Sidewinder, you made the cut." It's now time for Moon of the Month. Hey. It is the December full moon, which is going to occur on the 12th of December. So just a few days from now. And do you know what this full moon is going to be called?
0: Uh, without looking at the show notes, is it called the Christmas moon?
1: It is not called the Christmas moon, although an alternative name for it is the moon before Yule. <laughs> <laughs> That's rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> Why not the Yule moon? Because you struggle to say that and it's a hard phrase to say. Yule moon.
0: It's the yule moon. All right, there you how, go. how have I struggled? Whereas it? it's, the, it's the moon before yule. Uh, that sounds like a, a sort of a southern Texan. It's the moon before yule.
1: <laughs>
0: well, yes, I can see it's, it's clearly the moon up there. Yeah, it's before yule. Yeah, yeah, it is before us. Yes.
1: Yule. Uh, the December moon is shockingly called the cold moon. Why? Because every
0: month you look at, is it
1: the epistemology or why things are named that way? So I got the story from an article on bustle.com, because I just typed into Google, what's the name of the full moon this month, and this article came up. And the article is 647 words, which I and I managed to condense it to 13 words, which is, the cold moon is called a cold moon because it's cold in December. That's why it's called the cold moon. Right. That's it. Pretty good if you can string
0: that out to 600 words. Yeah. Because you're, you're sort of l- looking at disparaging, it's taken 600 words, but uh, it's gone to that point where, like, if you take 200 words, yeah, you're being annoying, but 600 is impressive.
1: Well, they brought in, like, astrology, and they're, like, giving other examples of just like, oh, well, this one is called the Cold Moon, but in September it's called the Harvest Moon. Oh, right. So, so many tangents leaping back onto one another. Um, so it's
0: not to do with the Cold War? It's not. US and... Russia fighting over it. Because it, it should be now, quite legitimately, if, if China are militarising it, as they say. Russia's militarising it, the United States are militarising it.
1: <laughs> well, it's a three-way conflict now. Well, everyone is trying to get to the moon. Israel try to get there, India trying to get there. Everyone is trying to mine it and get there to find out what's there, whereas America is actually trying to have a military presence on it. Uh, do you want to know some alternative names for the cold moon? Uh, Yes, I do. So, we've already spoken about Moon Before Yule. There is Long Night Moon, which makes sense, because December has... Long nights? The Long Nights. Uh, The Oak Moon. Okay, this is one that's not obvious. I don't know why it's called the Oak Moon. I'm going to save that for next year when we talk about it. Uh, There's also the Wolf (laughs) Moon. I'll look forward to it. (laughs) And the Wolf Moon. Haven't we had that? We haven't had that one yet. Okay. But I remember you talking about, like, Super Blood Wolf Moons. Yeah, I'm pretty
0: sure we had that. Okay. So why is it called the wolf moon? Wolves only come out at Christmas. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, I don't know. I was going to say maybe it's because wolves are howling this time of year, but then wolves will howl any time of year. Yeah. Maybe,
0: it's- maybe they sit up in oak trees, <laughs> which, <laughs> which explains it all. But what I was going to say on this is it's very hemispherist, because in the southern hemisphere it's quite hot in uh, December. Uh, long nights. It's actually the shortest night. People in the summers, uh, southern hemisphere, we're not being uh, hemispherist. We do appreciate you. We do think you should have the same employment rights and voting rights as the rest of us. But you're not uh, considered when we
1: name the moons, apparently. Yeah, we're very, very selfish up here in the... Northern. Northern hemisphere. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Why did you take time to think about that? I, just, I was just thinking, west? <laughs> no, <laughs> that's not correct. <laughs> uh, so December a cold moon named so because it's cold
0: in the northern hemisphere southern hemisphere yeah, you, you've got to start naming moons quicker
1: it's now time for some very local moon news hey, hey this is the part
0: of the show where we look at the moon on earth or cities or townships called moon that are what are they up to
1: yes and this usually involves me going into google news and typing in moon pennsylvania moon kentucky moon Wisconsin. Which one is it this week? It's Moon, Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Uh, But it is not in the town of Moon, Wisconsin. It is about a chocolate shop called Sapphire Moon Chocolates, which is based in Appleton, Wisconsin, uh, which is about 100 miles away from Moon, Wisconsin, but I'm going to kind of include it in the ecosphere of very local moon news. Well, I suppose in terms of you know interplanetary distances, it's not that far. Oh, it's uh, very local. This article caught my eye and it's titled, Wisconsin Woman Says Anti-Islamic Bias is Part of Her Complicated Struggle to Keep Chocolate Shop Open. Just trips off the tongue, that one. It, it does. And and it's such a bizarre title, I was like, well, is she accusing, like, ISIS, like, threatening her chocolate shop? But the owner of the chocolate shop has converted to Islam and wears a headscarf for modesty purposes. So when people come into the shop and see her in a headscarf, apparently they have said, oh, I'm not getting served from a woman in a headscarf, oh, I'm not getting served by a Muslim, da da which I can actually see people saying in America due to the troubling times we're in. But if I see a white woman in a headscarf, I don't instantly think Muslim. I think more like Babushka from, like, Russia, because a headscarf is just fairly normal.
0: A headscarf is a headscarf, yeah. I mean, there's an embarrassing um, moment where some politician a few years ago said, oh, we should ban all women wearing headscarfs, And then um, I think Private Eye just put... Sort of pictures of the Queen wandering around. <laughs> you know, this is a very nationalistic politician saying we should have British values. And there's just pictures of the Queen. She commonly wears a head headscarf to keep her head cool. Um, so it was one of those, yeah, think about what you say <laughs> before you say it.
1: And there's a picture of her here in the article. And you probably, like, look twice to actually think, oh, is this a uh, an Islamic headscarf for modesty purpose kind of thing? Like, you, you wouldn't really no, tell. I mean, te- uh, but as the title of this article suggested, is part of the complicated struggle to keep her chocolate shop open. So while I can believe there is like this Islamophobia, which is very right everywhere, so I can understand there is that element of the struggle, there is more things at play here because she was injured in a previous job and she's part of an ongoing lawsuit with this previous employer to try and get some insurance claim because she claims that she can't bend down, she can't lift heavy objects, and this is putting a strain on her physical well-being, meaning that she can't work. Her daughter is having to do all the heavy lifting in the shop, that's what she's saying. However, the insurance company has hired a private investigator and has taken some photos of her like bending down. She claims, oh, I'm just bending down to get some chocolates from underneath the counter, Whereas they're saying, oh, she was bedding down and picking up some heavy objects. Again, it's a he say, she say thing. I don't have all the evidence and information in front of me to actually make this call, because it's clearly all wrapped up in the court cases.
0: But, because of this... And (laughs) thankfully the legal proceedings aren't based on what a Moon-based podcast thinks, (laughs) either.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Um, But the judge has basically given her far less money than she, than the original suit planned on, so now her chocolate shop has been thrown again into the red, and she's not sure whether she'll be able to keep it going or not. Now, the community tried to help out and say like, oh, you should all do your shopping here, and a friend of hers put something on Facebook being like, oh, shame on you for your Islamophobia, she's a lovely person, you should all shop in this, and... Thankfully, social media is very respectful of this, right? Well, no. Comments just turn into a deluge of hate and in-bickering, and it's just completely and utterly spiralled out of control. And now that there's an article about this, which names the shop and the person, the fact that someone on the other side of the Atlantic can find this information, I reckon this is gonna spark this all off again, and I reckon there's gonna be more Islamophobia stuff sent her way, because of this article.
0: Yeah, so you shouldn't publicise it then. Well, I don't think. No, I, I don't think the listeners of the, the Moon Base podcast are uh, anti Islamic. And if you are, naff off.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Quite
0: frankly. Uh, to wrap it up, yep, yeah, this is our foray into the world of lo- very local Moon News, and you never know what you're going to get. So we've set the bar at anti Islamic chocolate shop
1: fraud. Uh, let's see if we can beat that next time. So you wanted to start a feature a few episodes ago where we worked our way out through the moons of the solar system, starting with Mercury, no moon, Venus, no moon, Earth, the moon. We've talked about that. Well, that, that was
0: it. Sorry. Yeah, I remember now. Because I thought, well, we, we chat about whatever moon happens to be in the news, but it'd be good to go through them syst- systematically and say, what do we know about each moon? Okay, Okay. admittedly there are 180-odd, so it'll take a while, at one a month, so, (laughs) what, 10, 10, 15 years? But we'll get there. Yeah, and the order is to go from the Sun out. So, yeah, so the Earth's Moon is the first one, but we talk about that a lot, and that'll probably come up again. So, the next one... We're on to Mars, and then you said, oh, you know Phobos and Demnos, don't you? Right, let's go up to Jupiter, or whatever. Yeah. I, like, well, I thought of that on the way home. I like, well, Actually, I don't know Phobos and Demnos, because it's um, it was basically in Doom. Sorry, Doom being a first-person shooter game. In Doom lore, a space marine goes into a base on Phobos and Demnos, because they're setting up portals between the two planets as a military experiment, and then they create, accidentally create a portal to hell. Okay. and this space marine has to deal with it. And that, that's basically it. I don't think that's true. It's uh, not. Right, so when you say you know about Phobos and Demnos, I'm going to say, yeah, actually, I probably don't. So let's let's go back and, and start okay. and do it properly. So we'll start with, which is the... we starting from the innermost planet
1: and working out, or outermost. Uh, innermost moon. Okay. So innermost moon is Phobos. Outermost is Deimos, Deimos, so let's correct that. Okay, Deimos, yeah, <laughs> right, yeah, cool. Uh, let's pick... Demos. Okay, so out, in. Yes,
0: because actually the outer one's going to be nearest the sun.
1: We're not going to go on their current position in the orbit. No. That's going to... That'll gonna, be complicated. It would it. be far too complicated. So let's start with Deimos then. Yes. Uh, Deimos is the smaller of the two, and it is named after one of the sons of Ares, Ares being the god of war, and is the twin brother of Phobos. Phobos is... Fear, Deimos is terror. Right, so not, not cheery planets. Not really. Moons, I mean. Not, not really, if it's like war, fear and terror.
0: Yeah, explains uh, why Doom is set there. So can it, you give me some, yeah, un, Undoom-related facts about yes. Deimos so I can, I can remember it?
1: Yes, okay, so it was discovered in 1877 by Asaph Hall, uh, whose wife was part of the Astronomical Society I think it was discovered in a city called Foggy Bottom.
0: That's that's epic. Or it might be someone messing about on uh, Wikipedia.
1: I'm pretty sure it was discovered in Foggy Bottom. Let me double check this because I remember because I, I made a, fi- a video about Phobos and I haven't got to Deimos yet. Yeah. Yes, it is in a place called Foggy Bottom. Good. <laughs>
0: Of course, this was back in the day of the gentleman scientist type thing, but you had to...
1: Yes, yes it was. Aesop Hall looks very genteel. He's got an amazing uh, handlebar moustache. Oh, quite right. Well, how are you going to spot moons without one? Exactly. So he discovered Deimos first, and then a couple of hours later he discovered Phobos. And he... this
0: this was with a, presumably an old-fashioned telescope?
1: Yeah, yeah, but it was still pretty big. What, the telescope or the moon? Telescope. Right. Yeah, so Deimos is 15 by 12 by 11 kilometres, and Phobos is significantly bigger. If you're describing something on Demos, it has the adjective of Demosian Right, okay. So if there's a crater, you'd be like, oh yes, the Demosian crater oh. of. And in fact, there are two notable craters on Demos called Swift and Volitaire. And the reason for this is because during Gulliver's travels, written by Jonathan Swift. At the time of writing, which was the 1700s, Mars was just a planet. It didn't have any moons then. Four moons had been discovered around Jupiter and Earth had one moon. So they hypothesized that there were two moons around Mars because it was like doubling in size. So Earth, one moon, Mars, two, Jupiter, four, Saturn, eight, and then going out. (laughs) Right. That that was just like their- That's science, that is. Well, uh, it was, Gulliver's Travels is meant to be like a satire, parody yeah. kind of thing. So they hypothesised that Mars had two moons, and they did missions there in the book. And another writer called Voltaire also talked about Mars having two moons. So as a little tribute to them, they called craters on Deimos, Swift and Voltaire. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, which is uh, which I thought is quite a sweet little nod. In fact, there's loads of things like that throughout astronomy. There's many, many craters named after Herschel, for example, who discovered quite a few moons. Yeah. Like, he discovered the Uranian moons. I'm going to War of the Worlds.
0: That's is- H.G. Wells. H.G. Wells, but they aliens landed at Horsham... Herschel Common? Or, or, near Woking? Horsal. Horsal Commons. Ah, Okay. Almost worked. Did you watch the BBC War of the yeah. Worlds? Uh yeah, I haven't seen the
1: last two episodes yet. Is that any good? Um it's very BBC. That's what I've heard. Yeah. I've heard it's full of Wraith Spall frowning.
0: Yeah, I don't don't really care about any of the characters. Yeah. So all the, all the effects are good and so on, but I don't really care that if any of them survive or not. They're all doing very good
1: individual scenes, but I'm just like, yeah, mm, it, for some reason it doesn't all fit in. Did you watch uh, Killing Eve? No. So Killing Eve, uh, based on a graphic novel, it's got some amazing characters in it. It's developed by Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who did Fleabag. Excellent show. Killing Eve, again, is very BBC. It's quite twee in places just it just didn't sit well with me and it really grated me. And I watched it on the iPlayer and I hate watching things on the iPlayer because it end most of the episodes end on a cliffhanger and you have to be a Wild West gunslinger to grab the remote and stop it immediately. Like some of the cliffhangers have been like, oh my God, has this character survived? Oh my God, are they going to escape this situation? Next time on Killing Eve! Oh, we escaped that situation very well, didn't we? I'm so glad you're alive, character who may have died. Oh, every time. It was like like when they did the new Doctor Who revitalisation. The Empty Child is a perfect example of this. Uh, The one with, um... Are you my mummy? With the gas masks. I... no, I
0: haven't seen this. Okay.
1: Again, episode ends, the... Characters were in peril, it's like, oh my god, how are they going to get out of this one? And then the infamous Doctor Who music of the, the swirl, of the, and then it went straight into the credits, it's like, oh, cliffhanger! And it was the first one of this, of the new era of Doctor Who. It was like, oh my god, that's amazing. Next time on Doctor Who, quick, let's go this way! Oh, they've escaped. Right. Crying out loud! Can we not have some suspense for a little bit? Can't stand the BBC doing this. It's so frustrating. But yeah, that is
0: not a cliffhanger.
1: No, it's not. If you just immediately tell people what happens. Like, at least in a book, if the chapter ends on a cliffhanger, like, right, I am in control of how much time between finding out what happens.
0: Yeah, the, also the idea of a cliffhanger or a tease or something is to get people to come back. You don't need to do another tease afterwards to say, well, if you watch it next time, you'll find out what happens. It's like, yeah, that's literally the idea of a cliffhanger. <laughs> that, that is why we put a cliffhanger as the scriptwriters. That
1: is what we did. Did you ever watch uh, Dead Ringers? Uh, yes. <laughs> There's, um. I remember some of the Doctor Who sketches. Like, oh my God, Doctor, that's brilliant. How did you know how to escape? Well, I just read it in this week's Radio Times. It told me exactly what was going to happen and how I'd escape. Should we talk about Deimos some more? Yeah, Deimos. Well, Demos. In fact, both of the Martian moons are not going to be around forever. So Phobos's orbit is slightly decaying and it will eventually get torn apart by tidal forces and either form a ring around Mars or actually rain down on the planet in a fiery hellstorm. And Deimos is actually drifting further away, very much like Earth's moon is. And it's eventually going to escape Mars's gravitational pull and just become a rogue asteroid.
0: Is there any chance when it becomes rogue and wanders off,
1: it hits Earth? Slim? <laughs> Pretty slim? <laughs> I mean, probably not. It'll probably just join the asteroid belt, because the Sun will keep it in orbit. Right. It'll keep it local to the solar system. It's not like it's suddenly turned off the orbit and then it just flies off like a slingshot. Right, okay. <laughs> It's not going to get all right, I'm having Earth. <laughs> I'm having you, Earth. Uh, <laughs> You've been you, looking at me, yeah,
0: <laughs> for all these centuries.
1: With your telescope and your <laughs> handlebar moustaches. <laughs> Do you have any questions about Deimos, then? Is there any chance it could go to Earth and then become a new moon? Um. Once again, slim? Yes. In fact, no, it wouldn't become a moon because we don't have the braking mechanism required to slow down the orbit and keep it in a stable orbit. It would disrupt the planet. We don't have a braking mechanism. So... Don't we have gravity? That's
0: the braking
1: mechanism. You need to dissipate a lot of energy. So if this asteroid is coming towards Earth, it's going to be coming at quite a speed. So to capture it in the orbit, it needs to be slowed down and put into a stable orbit. So that energy has to go somewhere. It's either captured through atmospheric braking, tidal forces, or, in some cases, if you have a binary asteroid, so two orbiting one another in very close succession, if those go into a planetary system, sometimes one is captured, but the other takes all the energy and then is flung off at twice the speed. So, That's actually thought, to of what has happened with some of the Martian moons, because their origin's a little up in the air. Oh, right, so there was... So it's, it was thought for a while that they could be captured asteroids. Demos. Deimos. So Deimos could have had a partner. Oh, maybe it's just sad. Maybe. That's what's going to attack Earth. (laughs) Deimos, the agro moon. You wanted to have, like, adjectives for each of the moons. Do you want Deimos to be the agro moon? Okay,
0: so Deimos is heading away, and then Phobos is heading towards... Yeah. Yeah. Well, I did... Notice about the Demos information you sent was the escape velocity is 5.6 meters per second per second or something.
1: The escape velocity is 5.5 meters per second.
0: Yeah, so if I throw a tennis ball up, that's it. Yeah. Uh, Just not getting it back. Or it's going to take a bloody long time for it to come back. No, well, no, it'd be gone. (laughs) That's a game of tennis on the Demos, is is just right. Here we go. Bonk. Oh, there you go. The ball boy has to run off into
1: space to get that ball. Well, I was just thinking, if you jump, could you escape? So I'm just going to see what is the average speed of a jump. Yeah. So if you jump up. Yeah. Don't have the Olympics on Demos. <laughs> <laughs> Can you hold the Olympics in twelve kilometres? Yeah. Twelve kilometres. Only
0: the marathon that would have problems. Who do laps?
1: Yeah. That's Four it. laps.
0: Yeah. Pounds. Javelin. <laughs> you don't, That could orbit, actually. The javelin sort of goes out, flies around Deimos, and then stabs the thrower in the back. It wouldn't orbit. It would escape. Would it? Oh, right. Yeah, that's what an escape velocity is. No, yeah, but if you did it exactly the right thing, could you could you stab yourself with a javelin on
1: Deimos? Yeah, if you get the right speed and the right angle... I would watch that. But it would have to be, like, pinpoint, because if it was off by one degree, then it would just go around like a spirograph for a while. It's like, right, I'll just stand here. (laughs) Apparently you jump at about five miles per hour. Is 2.2 meters per second. Okay, so if you jumped, you'd you'd probably be up for a while. You'd be high, but
0: you wouldn't escape. It wouldn't be the case that you jump up and by the time you're starting to come back down, Deimos has moved on a bit.
1: Uh, You'd be gravitationally attracted to it. And also you'd be within the frame of reference of it. So you'd have the momentum. Could you jump to Mars? No. If you escape the velocity of Deimos, you could. Right. But Deimos is pretty far away, so I think you'd be caught up in the gravity of Mars. Maybe. Maybe if you, like, were facing Mars, Mars is directly above you, you jump, then it depends how much velocity you have to be able to just keep going. Yeah, you lucky listeners have only heard probably one or two sentences, whereas I've sat through ten minutes of Rick desperately (laughs) trying to claw together a Dutch accent. Any any final thoughts or any final questions about Deimos?
0: No. Right. So I know Deimos now.
1: You do? Deimos, the agro moon.
0: That's heading away from Mars, uh, may have had a friend that has now gone off into
1: space. Potentially, yeah. Okay. So next week, or, well, not next week, so next time you want to talk about another moon, which will be of Jupiter. Uh, Phobos, surely? Oh well, we do- oh sorry for working in. Next yeah. time you want to talk about Phobos. Yes. And there's plenty to talk about there. Oh my God, that's a lot of editing that needs to be done. Swedish is Swedish, Swedish.
0: Swedish, isn't it? No. Nah. Well, Swedish that's
1: like chef. Swedish is like oo to go to go boy to go
0: boy. I hope this
1: piece is going to be cut. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah.